When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the expert, Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got another great show lined up for the folks. The general theme of today's show is going to be about real estate. We're going to be talking about something called Delaware Statutory Trusts, also Section 1033 exchanges. We've heard of the 1031. Today, we'll talk about the 1033. Also, whether you can retire early if you own real estate. An exit strategy, we've got that for you. Or you can work forever. It's up to you. But let's start off with active versus passive real estate investing. Now, Brian, you've got a lot of clients that you've dealt with over the years, and you've taken a look at how they've gotten to be where they are today to be clients of Madrona Financial when it comes to the things that made them wealthy enough to be clients of Madrona Financial, what part of their portfolio most of the time does real estate make up? A pretty substantial part. I love talking about real estate on our show because it's one of those topics that in the financial services, you know, you think about the companies like Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones and, and, you know, they've got tens of thousands of financial advisors and you're not going to ever see an ad from any of them ever talking about real estate. Yet, isn't real estate kind of a big asset class? Let me think about the value of all the real estate in the United States or worldwide for that matter. And knowing that 40% of houses, for instance, are rentals, mm-hmm. uh, 100% of commercial properties are rental, essentially. And so the value of real estate is enormous, yet uh, financial advisors, because they tend not to be paid on it and, or whatever, for whatever reason, tend not to talk about it. They'll talk about, well, you need a 60-40 stock bond split. Mm-hmm. And well, how many people became clients of mine because they made their money in bonds? <laughs> oh, that would be how many, Jeff, do you think? Not many. I'd zero. Probably go on the, yeah, okay. I was going <laughs> to say you. the fingers of one hand, but I'm going to go ahead and make the You're old zero. Just make the old fist there. That'd there you be go. none. You got it. Uh, how many of my clients uh, are coming to me because they made it in real estate? A lot of them. And a lot of them have a mix of their business and real estate. Uh, you know, in fact, there's a lot more of my clients that are my clients because of real estate than there are because of stocks. I don't have a lot of Warren Buffett type clients. I've got a lot of people that bought some rentals and worked on them and, and worked as landlords and then bought more properties or maybe their their business expanded and they bought their business property around that. And, and that's more common than, oh, yeah, I, I bought stocks back in 1975 and now I have lots of money. I'm like, yeah, you probably would. But most of my clients didn't get there that way. So real estate is a very big part of the portfolios of people that I talk to. Well, you Tommy, at one time we used to do our show from a building that was way up high and it had some big picturesque windows there. And you told me, look out the window. Look at all those buildings there. Somebody owns every one of those buildings and four out of the 10 of those are probably owned by investors. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, looking out, uh, where were we, about the 14th floor? Yeah, 14th floor, yeah, right, yeah. right. And all these rooftops. And, and I, yeah, it's four out of 10 of the houses, the pitched roofs were rentals. And as I just mentioned, 100% of the flat roofs we were probably looking at yeah. were rentals. And that was, you know, you look across and, and like, wow, all those people need this solution. I remember it was back when we first started talking about 1031 exchanges on the radio and Delaware mm-hmm. Statutory Trust and so forth. And you're like, was well, that a big market? And I said, yeah, I remember that. Jeff, take a look outside. And I yeah. was pointing that out. He said, oh, wow. And this is just what we can see from our palatial studios right, uh, right. for the radio show. I'm like, yeah, that's just that's just what we can see from our window here. Think about countrywide how much there is mm-hmm. and how little is known about that or talked about. So, again, that's why I'm really excited to talk about that on the radio. 
Well, since real estate offers relatively high cash flow and the potential for appreciation, it's become a significant alternative to investing into stocks and bonds, as you have said. But there are two different types of real estate. There's active real estate investing and there is passive real estate investing. Let's define those two. Yeah, historically, there's been a lot of money made in active real estate investing. What I mean by that is you are the landlord. You are maybe the maintenance person too, or maybe not. You're the property manager, or maybe you outsource it, but ultimately it's your responsibility. You're the one that pays for any deferred maintenance, a new roof and anything like that. And you're the one that got the massive appreciation if that real estate's been in the Puget Sound for the most part. And so that's been a great way to build wealth over the years. So active real estate investing has been really good for a lot of people. Passive real estate investing, maybe you're not very good. You know, there's two uh, people I'm going to talk about here. One will be someone that, like myself, uh, I didn't like being a landlord. I can't fix anything. I'm a lousy maintenance guy. I don't want to have, you know, all the the deferred maintenance to deal with. I just, it's not my world. It's not my lane. I tried it for a bit and, you know, I knew it would be good for somebody, just not for me. And so I didn't want to put, it was taking up too much of my time and my time was much better spent uh, doing my industry than contractor type industry <laughs> of being a landlord. So no, I didn't, it w- didn't work for me. But you may be an active real estate investor that is just at a point in your, in your life where you want to be in a passive. So that's the difference though. Active is where you're the landlord. And again, that's been very successful for many people. That's where the biggest successes tend to be. And passive is when you're saying, I do not want to be that involved in it, but I love owning real estate. I'll invest in it. I just don't want to be the landlord. And as you said, you know, active real estate certainly does have its challenges. You've got tenants, you've got toilets, you've got trash. And with tenants, you know, there comes, unfortunately, evictions now and again. And, you know, there are lawsuits, dogs jump fences. There's just all sorts of things that you have to deal with if you're an active landlord. But do you think being an active landlord is the place where you could make more money than if you were a passive landlord despite the challenges? Yeah, I would say that there is. And uh, there's much more upside to an active landlord while you're in that. Certainly, there's there, the other way, too. I mean, I, I remember going to a, one of my rental houses and someone left and, oh, gosh, the carpet's completely trashed, mm. the dogs and all that stuff. And then mm-hmm. you walk in the bathroom and it's a spongy floor because they didn't bother to have a, a shower curtain and the, the one that was there they didn't replace. And so, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, you're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, how much is this going to cost me because i got to hire everything out. So, yeah, you, you can go the other way, too. But overall – most people I've talked to have done extremely well with their active real estate buying and, and owning the, the real estate that way. But there comes you know times in your life when you got to just decide, is this worth – for me, it was more of a time thing. I, I found that I was thinking about it all the time and, and worrying about it and all and take, spending time and weekends going out to these houses and going – what am I doing? I could do so much better in my profession. Sure. I'm worth about a, a buck twenty an hour, you know, one dollar twenty cents an hour. You know, exactly. being being a, a worker on a rental house, so I'm like, I this is not my place. But there's still some people who, for some reason, just get a kick out of it. They like doing it. They may be worth millions and millions of dollars. And I've seen those people. I'll drive by a building, and there they are with a broom or a mop in front of the building. And for some reason, this is what they like to do. This is their idea identity and no matter how wealthy they become, you know, with this real estate is just something that they can't let go of. It's sort of like a control thing to a certain extent. So active real estate certainly does have its advantages. It has its detriments too. And I think that some people, Brian, do not really realize what they're making on their active real estate. When you ask them what their return is, they're really sadly sort of misinformed. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people in active real estate that, you know, got the benefits of a, of a really good market, but they weren't really necessarily the best, I guess, business landlords, I will call it, because uh, how many times have I heard, yeah, I got this great tenant. He's been there 15 years. I've never raised a rent. I've heard that a million times. I It's way below market. It's way below market, but I, I just feel bad raising the rent ever. So yeah, the last time I 
we raised rent on them. Happy Days was the number one show in America. Yeah. You know, it's whatever it is. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. I was the same way. And so I mean, no judgments here. It's just it's hard to do that, of course. And so a lot of times they have great appreciation, but not great cash flow because of that. And even if they think they have decent cash flow, how many times do I, you know, have I asked what's your cash flow? They'll tell me, and I'll go, can I look at your tax return and what's this repair? Oh yeah, yeah. Last couple of years, I've had to put a lot of money into it. I'm like, well, that's more than your cash flow. You lost money and cash flow, but it went up in value. Yeah, yeah, it did do that, but you've lost money. You don't really have adequate cash flow on this, so that is a concern on some. Now, some people have the cash flow, and that's great, and they don't mind being a landlord and and doing the work. That's great too. And I never talk anybody out of being a landlord anymore. I just offer them the option. You can, you know, if you don't want to be a landlord anymore, have passive real estate, and not worry about it, and get your monthly checks, and have somebody else deal with it. So as you said, a lot of people misconstrue the amount of money that they're making. They may say they get 6% return on their investment, but in reality, when you figure the fact they had to put a roof on the place, they had a, an apartment that was vacant, you know, renovations, all that sort of thing, it seems that that 6% many times turns into about 2%. We're talking about active versus passive real estate investing with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Let's talk about passive real estate investing now. Give me some examples of passive real estate investing. Yeah, you can do it through a Delaware Statutory Trust. You can do it through a real estate investment trust, publicly traded or private non-traded, which you have to buy through an advisor. A Delaware Statutory Trust, you have to buy through an advisor too. But a regular REIT, public trade REIT, you can buy on your own or through an advisor. So those are the different ways. There, there are REITs that own different kinds of properties. Uh, you might have an apartment building REIT, and they might have 100 different apartment buildings in it. And you're just a partial owner of those apartment buildings. It could be industrial park REIT or just virtually any kind of real estate. Or it could be a mix. You know, there's ones that have industrial parks and, and like I say, multifamily. They might have hotels. They might have some kind of corporate guaranteed leases and retail. I, I would mention shopping center ones. I never buy shopping center REIT these days. Mm-hmm. You know, healthcare facilities, uh, you can buy all, just all kinds. Any, any kind of real estate you can think about, there is an option to buy it. And you're just buying a sliver of a big pie of entity that owns usually many properties. Although with Delaware Sass Store Trust, it's usually just one property. And self-storage, I, I should mention that. That's a big, big area too. But with DSTs, it's often just one property. It may be multiple properties in there. Uh, REITs, it's generally many, many properties. So there is the opportunity to still own real estate, but you don't have to deal with the toilets, tenants to the trash, the active real estate investing. With passive real estate, it's sort of like fractional ownership. It's you and a bunch of other people who are owning many different types of properties. And as you said, you can do it through REITs or you can do it through a Delaware statutory trust using the 1031 exchange, and certainly we're going to explore that a little bit more in today's show. Brian, because of the real estate boom, I mean, is there more chance or opportunity today than there has been before in terms of passive real estate and making money in that area? Yeah, one of the things I've noticed over the years is we've got a lot more options. I, I didn't have these kinds of options years ago. And so I'm really excited about that because, like I said, you can target just about any kind of real estate uh, now with passive real estate. And one of the reasons why it doesn't have maybe the upside of active is because you are diversifying. It's just like stock portfolio, which has a better chance of quadrupling uh, the S&P 500 index of 500 different companies or one randomly picked stock within the S&P? Well, of course, the one stock because it's not diversified. It could go way up. It could go way down. I don't know. When you start blending a lot of different ones together, you tend to bring down the upside and bring up the downside. You know, you have a you more of a tighter range of potential outcomes than you do with one. Same thing with real estate. If you own one piece of real estate, well, okay, you have a wide band of where it can go, up or down. Whereas if you own passive real estate that's diversified in a different asset class, different parts of the, of the country, uh, that kind of thing, you have diversification, which tends to limit your upside and, and that's a negative, and limit your downside, which is a positive. We're talking about real estate with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs, uh, active versus passive real estate investing. 
We'll be talking about whether or not you can retire. An exit strategy for active real estate owners. Also, 1033 exchanges in Delaware Statutory Trust. All that is just ahead. If you have at least $500,000 to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, contact Madrona Financial Services. Get your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation plan. Call 844-MADRONA or you can request it online by visiting madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. We'll be right back with more of Growing Your Wealth after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about can you retire an exit strategy for real estate or will you work forever? That's right, Brian. And people who are active landlords, I think, sometimes feel like they're going to have to work forever because it is not really a part-time job. Sometimes they go into this and thinking, well, this will be a little part-time thing that I'll do on the weekend. But when you're an active landlord, I'm telling you, the tenants are calling you. It seems like 24-7 for something. Something is all breaking. Brian, let's talk a little bit about an exit strategy from active real estate investing and owning. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. You you, you basically, you know, as I mentioned in the last segment, I was a landlord and that was my world. <laughs> it was 24-7. Now, I talk to clients all the time that say, well, I, I don't get any phone calls. I haven't got a phone call in 10 years from the <laughs> tenant. They, they keep the yard up nice. It looks good. I, I, there's no problem. I've never had a problem. I've never had anything to repair. I'm like, lucky you. So, yeah, there's... It's unusual. Yeah, there's two sides of that coin. You, you, you can have either. And certainly good for you if you, if you have good tenants and you, you did your work. You're a better landlord than I ever was. So for whatever reason, I it wasn't my thing. But yeah, I've certainly, like with anything, I mean, I love what I do, but I can't work for a hundred years because I'm not going to live that long. I can't work forever. And so there'll be a time where I had to make the decision. I like what I'm doing, but I can't do this anymore. And so I'm going to, luckily in my career, I can just kind of cut back a little bit and keep doing it for longer than most people would at their career. But it's the same thing with real estate. You, at some point, will make the decision, it's not that bad, but it's kind of more than I need in my life. And what if something happens to me and my spouse has to take this over or my kids? What if I, I just start making poor decisions or, you know, somehow I can't make the do the things I used to do? Maybe I should consider a long-term strategy and work towards that. So that's all we're talking here is, you know, there's at some point everybody needs to retire, even if it's not that burdensome uh, for you being a landlord. At some point you're going to. So if you are an active landlord and you're thinking, as you said, I can't do this forever, but I need an exit strategy, is an exit strategy as simple as just listing the property for sale, selling it, and then calling it a day? Well, it can be, but a lot of people own multiple properties. And so a lot of the discussion is around, you know, and and everything starts with a financial plan. So we want to start with a financial plan and, and figure out what we're solving for. If we're solving for deferral of income tax on the sale, great. We're going to talk 1031 exchanges. If we're solving for cash flow, we're going to analyze what your cash flow actually is, not what you think it is, but what it actually is, and project that out using different alternatives like a DST with a 1031. We want to know about your errors. Do you have errors? What's your cost basis? Uh, Do you have a big tax bill uh, if you sell it? Maybe you don't, and maybe that's not a concern. What is your age? What is your health? What, what, what's your you know, spouse? Does, do they want to uh, partake in this? So there's a lot of things that need to be addressed before we even start looking at that. Now, the other thing I want to say about that is most of my clients with real estate don't own one piece of real estate. They own many. And so part of that strategy might be I own, I'll just throw a number out, five properties. I say, which ones keep you up at night? Two of them. <laughs> well, why don't we start with those two? Oh, yeah, I really like the other three. Well, part of that strategy could be you're both passive and active in your real estate. Because real estate has provided a nice income stream for a lot of our uh, listeners in terms of investments, is it common for people to just cut off that income stream completely? Or is it a good idea for active investors before they do that to even consider passive real estate investing? I mean, what are some of the challenges if you're an active real estate investor 
that you may encounter if, if you're a passive real estate investor. Yeah, if, if you own real estate, you tend to like real estate. Uh, you tend to like rents. You tend to not necessarily be a big stock market person. You may be, but most of my, my experience is that most people are like, eh, I'm not real comfortable with the stock market. That's why I'm in real estate. Okay, that makes sense to me. And so one of the things you, you have to consider is because I'll have people going, well, gee, I don't know if I want to do that DST and 1031 exchange. I'm just going to sell it. I'm like, great, you're going to sell it. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pay the tax. And I'm like, okay, you pay the tax. So you sell for a million dollars and let's say your tax is 200000 And so now you have 800000 That 200 is gone forever. Now your principal is 800000 What now? If we're not going to do passive real estate, are you going to put it in the stock market? Well, no, I, I don't like the stock market. <laughs> oh, okay. What are you going? To, well, I think I'll buy a CD. Oh, I just saw a, a uh, uh, Jeff. You just about choked on your drink there. A I, CD, yeah. Yeah, I was taking a drink there, and I almost... I just had a client read to me. Oh, I got a special <laughs> offer from my bank. My I can get a special rate CD at point two percent. Yeah. So you got that uh, eight hundred thousand dollars because you paid two hundred k in tax, and now you're going to invest it at point two percent because you don't know what else to do with it. Or we could talk about DSTs or yeah, right. passive real estate, 1031 exchange, and have a million dollars to invest and get the rents from a DST. Yeah, this is not – I don't sell DSTs. <laughs> they sell themselves well, exactly, because yeah. real estate people like real estate, and it totally makes sense to them to consider passive real estate as an alternative to their active real estate. Because you have to put the money somewhere, and uh, you have to put it somewhere without two hundred grand of it in this case, uh, because you elected to pay the tax. So we do have options to make your life better, and I'm probably not going to recommend that 0.2% CD. <laughs> but it's pretty safe. You just don't get any money from it. 0.2% probably being generous in some cases. You can buy bonds, but bonds don't uh, really have much better return on those either, do they? No, they, they don't have that much better return for AAA-rated bonds. Uh, you can get a higher return with something called junk bonds, but that means you may not get your principal back. Right. And bonds can lose value if interest rates go up, which I anticipate we might see some of. But I, I do want to point out, like I always do, interest rates and inflation are not one and the same. We may have very constant, you know, kind of uh, interest rates that aren't going to move very much, but we are having inflation. We've been talking on this show forever, and I've been—I said probably six months ago—I think I heard Chairman Powell say he was going to control inflation to two percent. I said you don't have that control. You don't control prices, supply, and demand. We've been saying this on this radio show for the longest time now. Sure enough, we got the highest inflation we've had in over 15 years. That's way above two. There's no way to control. It's going to get worse. And so we're going to have inflation. Just didn't want to get too far off topic there. Right. But, but certainly uh, interest rates is different than that. It's uh, the, the rate that uh, different kind of uh, interest rate there. And so uh, that's something to consider when figuring out your plan for what you're going to do when you sell your real estate. We're talking about an exit strategy for active landlords this week here on Growing Your Wealth. So, Brian, you can sell the property if you want. You can take the cash, pay the tax, then do what you will with the proceeds from that. But you can also go into passive real estate. As you mentioned, there's a couple different options there. And we're going to be talking about the 1031 exchange in the Delaware Statutory Trust here a little bit later on in the program. But let's say that you do invest in a real estate investment trust. How do you do that and how do REITs work? Yeah, REITs, uh, since you're a partial owner in a group of properties, you get your monthly rent checks typically. Most REITs are set up to just like an interest check would be on a, on a bond or something like that. If, if they paid monthly, usually they don't. But just like when you owned your rentals, you were collecting monthly rent. So that's often the same thing with REITs. They, they pay often pay monthly rents. You just get your share of those rents. So that's a, a that's something you could do. I did want to mention one other thing. You know, we've been focused on uh, your landlord. Hey, I, I don't mind being a landlord. It's not that bad. And very often the decision is made to sell, though, not because of the person who's the landlord. It's because of the spouse. The spouse mm. is saying, um, yeah, you're okay, but uh, I want to go on trips. And you always tell me you can't go anywhere because you need to be around in case something happens with our rentals. I'm tired of that. Or, you know, I had one client. He was like, well, maybe I'll just keep being, a, I'm going to sell my property, do 1031. I'm just going to buy a bunch of rental houses. I said, that's great. Uh, how old are you again? He said, 75. <laughs> okay. How old's your wife? You know, 69. 
Okay. Um, how many years do you think you're going to want to do this full time? Uh, this this being a, a landlord starting fresh with brand new debt, brand new real estate to fix up, and all of that. And he's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> probably not that many years." I like, Why are you starting a new business at your age? That doesn't make any sense. And he's like, "You know, you're right. It doesn't make any sense." And I, I get monthly checks from the DST. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I said, you know, you could go out there. He's oh, and then he said, but I can make more money. Than I can with the DST, I think. I said, you probably can, but you're already worth, you know, I don't know how many millions he was worth. I said, right. how is that going to change your life? Oh, yeah, it's not. You will be the richest guy in the graveyard, you know, my yeah. favorite old saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't care about that. I'm like, exactly. So let's think about your life. Think about your wife. <laughs> think about your kids. Think about your lifestyle. And how is that uh, improving by going back into the landlord business, starting fresh. He's like, oh, it's not. So, yeah. So he, he came to the decision not to do that, which I thought was – I wasn't pushing him that way. I was just saying – pointing out the obvious to me, not obvious to him, and he really appreciated that. So if you still want to stay in real estate, you can invest in a real estate investment trust. We call them REITs here. Do REITs have specific terms or do they just go on forever? Yeah, there's some that, that have uh, plans to term out. Uh, maybe they're going to go public. Uh, some are perpetual. Some are, are not. So, yeah, depending on the on the REITs, most publicly traded REITs are perpetual. They're just meant to go on and on and on. But certainly a lot of the smaller private non-traded REITs, they'll have different exit strategies. So if you invest in a REIT, do you have the choice of investing in certain types of properties within those REITs? Absolutely. If you want to invest in self-storage, I can put you in a self-storage REIT. If you want to invest in cell towers, I can put you in a cell tower REIT. You know, so yeah, you you can get pretty granular on that. So most of them have, you know, a lot a lot of them, the good ones have uh, some crossover, but most of them, I would say, are targeted to one particular asset class that they want to specialize in. So REITs certainly can have their place in a portfolio. Are there any reasons or any detriments to investing in a REIT? Yeah, so REITs, you can buy REITs in uh, your IRA account. You can buy them in your non-IRA account. DSTs are more for 1031 exchanges from investment real estate to investment real estate. So those are the the caveats there. There's always negatives to everything. So we, you know, for instance, if you owned REITs in 2008, uh, they went way down in value. The particular REITs went way down during COVID, and they can be illiquid. And that, that's one of the issues with valuations of REITs. If we have a, a, a big problem like we had in 08 or COVID, early COVID, unlike a stock, which can be traded right away, real estate cannot. And so if you have a lot of people saying, I want to cash out my REIT, they can't just sell, let's say, 25% of the people wanted their money out of the REIT on, on Tuesday. They can't go out and sell 25% of their real estate by Wednesday. It just, it's illiquid. Mm-hmm. So most of them have caps on that. And if there is a, a run on that, there's, you can't get out of them just then. And so uh, there is a liquidity issue within real estate. And that's true with any real estate. It's an illiquid asset. Your rental house was never a liquid asset. Although in this market, it probably is. You can probably oh, yeah. go out and stick a sign in the ground oh, yeah. at 10 a.m. By, by noon, you got a full price cash offer. You walk away that day, probably. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, it's an illiquid asset. So that would be one of the reasons that you would not want to do a REIT. Yeah, this is a unique part of the country, and that is almost literally true, Brian. I have seen houses go for sale. I'll drive by the next day, and I think, well, this is a very expensive house here. It's on the water. It's not going to sell. But I go by a couple days later, and there's a sold sign on that. I don't know when this is going to end, but it certainly is interesting to watch this ride. We're talking about real estate, real estate investing here with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. By the way, our show is a podcast. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Simply search for Growing Your Wealth. If you have at least $500,000 to invest, you're looking to hire a new financial advisor. Contact Madrona Financial Services to get your complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan. Call 844-MADRONA to request it, or you can also go online and get it by going to madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Time for a break here on Growing Your Wealth. When we come back, we'll be talking about 1033 exchanges when our show continues after this. 
You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about Section 1033 exchanges. And Brian, we've heard of 1031 exchanges. We'll talk about those a little bit later on in the program. Of course, 1035 exchanges, they have to do with annuities. Uh, 1033 exchanges, though, a little bit different. These are just IRS tax codes, aren't they? Yeah, they're IRS. Uh, that's the section uh, of the tax code that it is. And it's it's funny, they, they call them these exchanges and it's like, oh, that sounds like a trade. You know, I'll trade you a Pete Rose card for a Willie Mays card. It's yeah. like, no, that's that's an exchange. I've made that, that exchange in my past uh, back when I collected cards. <laughs> These exchanges are different. They're not really exchanges, but that's what needs to happen to make them tax deferred. But basically, a Section 1033 exchange is where you had real estate and for whatever reason, it's no longer uh, available to you or it's not what it used to be. And one of those reasons could be it burnt down in fire. It was in a hurricane. It was in an earthquake. Uh, imminent domain. Sound Transit said, yeah, we're going to take your property. But I don't want to sell it. Oh, too bad. So sad. We're taking it. Here's how much we're going to pay you for it. So that's imminent domain. So any casualty, they call it a casualty, where you didn't intend to lose the value of your property, but it went down in value due to some casualty, something, whether it was Mother Nature or administratively through imminent domain, you lost the value of the use of your property, whether all of it or, or some of it. So you're involuntarily giving up this property. As you said, it can be due to a fire, some sort of hazard like that, a casualty, but it can be imminent domain too. You know, we got to put a railroad track through here. So, hey, it's time for you to pack up whether you want to or not. Okay, so let's say that that happens. We want to do a 1033 exchange. How does a 1033 exchange affect your income tax obligations? Yeah, you get to defer the gains on that. I love to tell uh, examples, yeah. and this is kind of a, a real-life example. So somebody that I knew had this property, and it was worth $5 million. And then Sound Transit came along and said, we're going to take your property. And they said, well, I don't want to sell it. You know, again, too bad, so sad, but we're going to pay you fair market value. And he said, okay, well, pay me $5 million. Well, no, you see, our appraisers decided it's worth $3 million. Oh. And they're like, well, no, it's worth five. Well, again, too bad, so sad, we're paying you three. And so he goes to his CPA and he goes, ah, my $5 million property is getting taken away from me for $3 million. I feel like I lost $2 million. And the CPA said, well, how much did you pay for it? Well, half a million. I'm like, well, no, you made $2.5 million. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm losing $2 million. No, you have a gain. They're giving you $3 million. You paid 500000 You have a $2.5 million gain and you have to pay tax on that. And you go, wait a second, I'm being underpaid for my property. I didn't want to sell in the first place. And now you're telling me I've got a gain of $250,000. So I got to pay, it's going to jack up my tax bracket on everything I earn. And I got to pay tax on all of that. Yep. Is there any way out of this? Yep. That's called the Section 1033 Exchange. So when you receive that $3 million, you can take that $3 million and invest it in other real estate, whether active real estate, as we talked about in the last session, or passive real estate through a Delaware statutory trust. But you can defer that gain. I mean, it's already bad enough you lost your property you didn't want to sell, and it's bad enough they didn't pay it fair market value. But to throw a tax bill on top of that is really bad. So we can at least uh, get you out of the tax bill on that by deferring it through a Section 1033 exchange. So the fellow says it's worth $5 million and the government who's taking away says it's worth $3 million. Is there any negotiation on this, or, it just, or is it just, hey, we're going to give you this and that's it? Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, that's why we have attorneys. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like a third of the phone book is attorney <laughs> ads. Right. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, that's why, uh, yeah, you get a, a higher real estate attorney and fight that, which, uh, you know, I, I believe they did. But the bottom line is still they had this. Now, the rules of Section 1033 are not as tight as the 1031 rules. 
1031 exchanges uh, only give you 45 days to identify a new property and a total of 180 days to close on it. You have to have hired an int- a qualified intermediary before the closing of your property. Otherwise, you can't do it. That's not the case with this. You have literally a couple of years to okay. get a replacement property, not 45 days. And you can have access to your cash and still do the exchange. It does not have to go to a qualified intermediary first. And so that gives you time to, you know, if it burnt down or whatever. And most most casualties are not full losses. It is of imminent domain. They took the property. You don't have anything yet left. But uh, you might have a commercial building and it burnt down and you got the insurance money, but you still own the land. So it's that insurance money that we're talking about in this case. And certainly if you sell the land, that too, you, you can you make a case for that. So being part of the exchange. So there's all different kinds of situations with this, but a lot of times it's a partial loss and it's that partial loss that, you know, you don't want to pay the tax on it. You, you never intended to. That's why they call this involuntary conversion. So with a 1031 exchange, you need a QI, Qualified Intermediary, doing a Delaware Statutory Trust. But with a 1033 exchange, you get the cash, but there's still a two-year time limit on finding another property. Let's say that you want to rent. I mean, do you have to necessarily find another property, or can you use that money for something else? Well, you're going to have a tax bill, and you can do whatever you want with it. But if you put it into qualifying real estate, then uh, you don't have a tax bill on it. So that's that's the rub there. So uh, a lot of people, they don't want to pay the tax, and maybe they don't want to rebuild. Maybe it's just, you know, they're just a point, well, okay, it burnt down or whatever. I don't want to rebuild. Or in this case, you know, eminent domain, they, they took my real estate. I'm not going to start over. And so that's very often where we'll use, a, in this case that I, I told you about, it was a real-life case, and we put their $3 million or whatever they ended up after going through the attorneys, we put it into uh, Delaware Statutory Trust property. So at least they could have uh, income from that, still be in real estate and not pay the tax, because they were just saying they were in their 60s. They didn't want to start over uh, trying to find another property on their own. We're talking about 1033 exchanges with Brian Evans here at Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs and how those differ from a 1031 exchange. Brian, if people do not know what a 1031 exchange is, can you define that? Yeah, that's, that has a misnomer too. I mentioned it's not really an exchange. You're not trading your property for Joe's property, you know, down mm-hmm. uh, around the corner. You're selling your property. It's going into escrow with a qualified intermediary, and then you're buying another replacement property uh, somewhere else. And the legalities make it an exchange according to the IRS regulations. So 1031 exchange, another misnomer on them is they call them like-kind exchanges. Uh, That does not mean that you have to sell a rental house and buy another rental house or a purple rental house for a purple rental house or whatever. They're not really like kind. You could you could do an exchange of rental house for a farm, a farm for an uh, industrial park, industrial park for a winery, a winery for a DST, a DST for a casino, you know, whatever you want. They're investment real estate, meaning they're not your principal residence. That's something different. They're not your vacation home. That's something different. They're real estate held for investments. So a 1031 exchange can be any real estate held for investment sold, put into escrow with the qualified intermediary to purchase other investment real estate. So like-kind exchange, a very loose term here, as you said, you can uh, trade your property for something entirely different, but I guess it does have to be real estate. It does have to be investment real estate. Yeah, okay. it does. Right. But that's a very broad term. Even, even oil and gas, mineral rights, those kinds of things can be real estate. Uh, even long-term leases. I, I know somebody with industrial parks uh, with very long-term leases for ground lease and the building lease. Those are considered investment real estate because the leases are long enough. So there's a, a wide swath of different kinds of things you wouldn't even think is real estate, but it is for purposes of Section 1031 and Section 1033 exchanges. So once again, talk about the uh, time frames on 1031 exchanges. Yeah. So when you have a purchase-sale agreement, before it closes, you have to hire a qualified intermediary. If you're one minute late, too bad, so sad. You can't do a 1031 exchange. Then you have 45 days, up to 45 days, to identify your replacement property. And you cannot just, uh, somebody take advantage of that, so then they made the rules tough. I think they listed uh, all properties west of the Mississippi. That was their exchange property. And then the IRS said, no, okay, now you can only name three. 
unless you close on all the ones you name or, you know, they have all these funky rules now that, that make it uh, tougher on us, but you only have 45 days. And in this market, that is really tough to do. You know, I've had so many people say, I like being a landlord. I'm going to go out and find another property. I'm going to go find a, a Walgreens lease or something like that. And like, okay, good luck. <laughs> and they come back <laughs> and on day 40 and they go, uh, I offered on two and there was about 25 offers on each. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Uh, I didn't get either one. Yep. And uh, he says, I want to do that Delaware Statutory Trust because I only got five days. I'm like, yeah, that's what we'll do. And so, yeah, that that's happened many, many times. It's tough to, to do that in 45 days. And again, you have 180 days to close. Uh, Delaware Statutory Trust, they close in days because that's they're already owned. Uh, whereas your own property, let's say you identify a property, but then it falls through. Well, yeah, there's no going back. You know, you identified it on day 40. I'm going to buy this property. And then on day 60, you go, oh, uh, it's got a bad foundation. Um, inspection came in. I don't, I'm not going to buy this property. How do I do a 1031? You don't. You're going to pay the tax now. So that's one of the reasons, uh, another reason people do uh, Delaware Statutory Trust. And we're going to be talking about Delaware Statutory Trust in just a moment. With a 1031 exchange, though, I do want to make it clear the money cannot go into your bank account before it goes to the QI, can it? If it even goes there for a minute, <laughs> deal's done. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I've had people call me. Hey, I've been listening to your show. We talked 10 times. You told me 10 times, and I got the money. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. It's in your bank account? Yeah. <laughs> what was that thing about a Q something? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Too late. We can't do the exchange. It's got to go to the qualified intermediary that's hired before it closes. So you can't touch the money and then do an exchange for 1031. You can for a 1033 casualty loss. So can you just uh, Google, uh, you know, qualified intermediary on Google and come up with one? Or do you help people find a QI? Oh, yeah. 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 Just just you're thinking about selling your investment real estate. Give us a call. We'll take care of everything. We got the we can put get the DSTs. We'll vet them for you. We'll help you select them. We'll, we'll help you find a QI that, that you like. We know we have Lots of them that we use on these, uh, depending on where you live and, and what you want there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll help you with find it. Most people don't have a QI on their speed. No. <laughs> so, again, you know, there are very specific rules to doing a 1031 exchange. And if you don't do them correctly, you can blow the entire deal. That's why it's so important to have someone who is well-versed in this area like Madrona Financial Services. By the way, there is a specific website that we have for uh, finding out more about Delaware Statutory Trust 1031 exchanges. It is Madrona. 1031.com madrona1031.com highly encourage you to check this out you're listening to growing your wealth with brian evans of madrona financial services and bauer evans cpas once again for our loyal listeners to this program if you got at least five hundred thousand dollars to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor contact madrona financial services to get your complimentary no cost no obligation financial plan If you don't have a financial advisor yet and you've got specific questions, you want to hire one, vet Madrona Financial Services before you call anyone else. Call 844-MADRONA or you can request your plan online by visiting madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. We'll be right back with more of Growing Your Wealth after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we'll be talking about Delaware Statutory Trusts. And Brian, in this show, we've been talking about passive real estate, certainly. A Delaware Statutory Trust is something that we've talked about on past shows. Traditionally, it's been used in conjunction with a 1031 exchange. So very interesting concept, the Delaware Statutory Trust, if you're an active landlord. And why don't you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, what are the main benefits or features of a DST? Yeah, it's not that complicated when you get down to it. If you understand, uh, let's say a a REIT, a real estate investment trust, uh, when you invest in it, you're just a partial owner of real estate, essentially. Well, a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust, we'll call them DSTs going forward, is just uh, an investment in real estate where when you invest in it, you're a partial owner in whatever real estate's in it. But it just so happens the reason this is differentiated from REITs 
is that DSTs qualify for Section 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. So when you sell your appreciated investment real estate, if you follow the strict rules, you can uh, put your proceeds into a DST, and that qualifies for 1031 tax deferral. So 1031 tax deferral, you're not eliminating the income taxes, but you're sort of like kicking that tax can down the road. How far can you kick that can down the road? Uh, you can kick it down the road far enough to when you pass away, you get a step up in basis with the current laws. And so you would eliminate any income tax on that. So a lot of people, especially older real estate investor, like to do 1031 exchanges because they want to keep their capital working for them in real estate and getting the rents from it and the appreciation and all that stuff. They don't want to lose that to taxes now. So kick it down the road, which is great, but they also can eliminate it again under current law using a step up in basis. So let's use an example here. Let's say that I paid 100 thousand dollars for an investment piece of real estate property. It could be a fourplex, an eightplex. It's now worth a million dollars. I have a $900,000 gain and I want to sell that property. Tell me the steps that you have to go through in order to do a DST. Yeah, that's just a regular 1031 exchange. So you have to hire what's called a qualified intermediary. And then at closing, you uh, will, you know, the proceeds will go to the, the qualified intermediary from the sale. And now you have up to 45 days to identify your replacement property. So a lot of people either decide one of two things. Uh, They either decided, hey, I don't really want to be a landlord anymore. Isn't there another way to do this? And that's where the DST kicks in. Or they want to be a landlord. They're looking around for properties. But as you know, with real estate, uh, you go out and bid on a, oh, I found my property. I put in an offer on it above listing and I was one of 20 offers, you know, so (laughs) it's hard to find a property. What, I only have 45 days? I got to make this happen in 45 days? Yeah, I might not be able to. Well, then you might want to go with the DST. So this is fractional ownership of real estate. You're getting out of actively managing maybe the apartment complex and you're buying fractional ownership of other real estate. And you said like-kind real estate. I mean, how like-kind do you get with a Delaware statutory trust? It's pretty broad. I mean, if you sell investment real estate, which is a broad category, a like-kind exchange, 1031 exchange, means you buy other investment real estate. So it could be pretty much anything. DSTs come in many different forms. It could be uh, multifamily apartments, self-storage. It could be industrial park, net lease properties, all different mobile home parks, whatever. It can be many different things when it comes to a DST. But with a DST, I mean, you don't have the same sort of control as you would if you were an active landlord, I would think, because you're just a fractional owner. How do we know that these properties that I'm investing in with a DST are going to be kept up? Well, that's where you do the vetting process, and we do that for you. Uh, You can only get a DST through a financial advisor that's licensed, and so we are, and so we do the vetting on the DSTs for our clients. But uh, yeah, there are detriments to everything, as we know. Uh, With a DST, you don't have control. You give up control to somebody else. Now, that's probably a good thing for a lot of people Mm -hmm. because they aren't probably as good of a landlord as a national real estate company that manages billions and billions of dollars of real estate. So actually, that can be a positive instead of a negative. DSTs aren't liquid. You can't buy one one year and then sell it two years later. They will decide when it's sold almost always before 10 years is up. But the the sponsor of the real estate uh, decides when it's sold. So if you need a, my old joke, if you need an emergency Bugatti (laughs) in the next couple of years, don't do a DST. Don't do a 1031 exchange. You need the cash. Another reason not to do a DST, and and these are really not to do a 1031 uh, exchange. Again, they're illiquid. Maybe your gain isn't very big. Uh, You only bought the property recently. You don't have a huge gain. Or you inherited the property, and then you're selling it now. you got to step up in basis. Maybe your gain isn't there. Or another reason not to is you think you can make more money in the real estate market being active. And if you're younger, that's probably true. If you're older, probably not. So these are reasons why not to do a 1031 exchange. The reason not to do a DST, again, was just that you might be able to find properties that have a higher return. And if you're younger and so forth and want to be a landlord, that's fine. But a lot of the people I'm working with are selling their investment real estate and they are already in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And they're saying, you know, it did its thing. I, I made the money. I had the appreciation. It was great. It was a lot of work. But here we are. It's an older property. I'm ready to retire from being a landlord. I don't want to pay the tax. I want to continue to get the income from it and the potential appreciation. I want a diversified portfolio of newer properties, professionally managed. I want to look into the DST. 
Here in the Seattle area, I know that Seattle landlords have had some challenges recently with their inability to properly screen tenants and, of course, get them out. With a DST, these DST properties are not necessarily here in the Pacific Northwest, are they? No, I've never seen one in the Pacific Northwest. The the numbers just don't work for new real estate purchases here very well. Capitalization rates, your rate of return on cash on cash return isn't very high as compared with other parts of the country. So most of the DSTs I see are in the Sun Belt states primarily, Uh, sometimes not, but for the most part they are. But yeah, I haven't seen any Seattle properties. So my clients in DSTs typically are either older, their retirement age, or they're Seattle landlords and they just want out of Seattle. <laughs> if I have that eightplex apartment building, that residential investment apartment building, uh, I mean, I can really invest in any number of different types of real estate, right? Yeah, that's true. And and so here's a scenario. You just mentioned eightplex in Seattle. Well, maybe you bought it 30 years ago. When you bought it, it was 20 years old, which right. means it's 50 years old now. Generally, there's a lot of deferred maintenance on a 50-year-old structure that's lived in by tenants that don't own it. So uh, you can give that up, which is great. You can sell the property at a really high price right now because of where we're at in the market. And you don't just find one other property. You can buy multiple properties. Most DST offerings have a 100000 minimum. So let's say you sold your property. You might go, you know, I'd like to buy four different DSTs as my replacement property. Okay, no problem. You, you want different kind of property types in different parts of the country to diversify. Just like with a stock portfolio, you tend not to just buy one stock. You might buy the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. You buy a, a group of stocks. Well, you can buy essentially not a big group. You can't buy 500 properties in a DST like the S&P 500, Mm -hmm. but you can buy multiple properties in multiple parts of the country. So typically, how long do these DSTs go? I mean, are they like an annuity where, you know, it's three, five, seven, ten years, that sort of thing? Yeah, they, they tend to always sell in under 10 years. There's some reasons for that about finance rules and IRS regulations and so forth. But no more than 10 years. Uh, a lot of them I see go full cycle between, oh, years, uh, maybe four through eight. A lot of them tend to, to go in that uh, range there. So when they are sold, you're, you're notified ahead of time by the sponsor. Hey, we're going to sell this. Uh, what do you want to do with the money? Well, you have options. Uh, one option is you, you take the money and pay the tax. Another option is that you take the money and don't pay the tax because maybe your spouse passed away and you had a step up in basis. But the most common option is, well, I still don't want to pay the tax. I didn't want to seven years ago. I don't want to now. So let's do another group of DSTs. So you can continue to kick that tax can down the road, as you said, and you can do it really pretty much indefinitely. At least you can do it within your life. And there is the opportunity for some legacy here, too. You can pass that DST on to heirs. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's a big reason why people do it. But, you know, there's lots of other reasons. You want, again, I mentioned diversifying your real estate holdings. Often people's cash flow can go up. Maybe they haven't raised rents with the property they own for 15 years. And so they're not really getting a lot. Or maybe they own raw land and they're getting nothing, just paying property taxes. They sell it, have a big gain, have it go into DST, and now they get monthly rent checks. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, just deferred maintenance. You own older property. Or maybe you think the prices are really high and they really can't sustain and it's a good time to sell. That might be a, a reason to do that. Another reason people do uh, DSTs is they and their spouse are getting older and they're worried if they pass away, they're going to leave a burden to their spouse that maybe isn't interested in managing real estate estate. And so this is essentially a retirement strategy. So if you're an active real estate investor, you're an active landlord, you're tired of the toilets, tenants, and trash, a DST may be an answer for you. Once again, if you'd like more information about Delaware Statutory Trust, the 1031 Exchange, certainly you can go to the website that we have here. It's madrona1031.com, madrona1031.com. Read more about the 1031 Exchanges. And as always, if you have questions about Delaware Statutory Trust, you can contact us here at Madrona Financial at 844-MADRONA, or you can go to the website, send in questions, and ask for your complimentary financial plan at madronafinancial.com. Brian, out of time for this week. Thank you so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners for listening to us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.